kind of break it down. And this portion of scripture is um, chapters 4 and 5 talk about um, the design in church. It talks about um, what, how we treat uh, widows and how what the elders should be doing. And so um, this is very instructional. It's Paul writing to young Timothy, who is the, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he's just giving him some direction. So verse 3 says this, honor widows who are truly widows. Pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Um, uh, verse 4 says this, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. So uh, for all you who have kids at home, their job is to take care of you in later portion of your life. Is what the scripture says. Uh, for this is what? Pleasing in the sight of God. How many want to please the Lord? All right. Some of you younger people, that may mean that you're, it's pleasing when you take care of your, your parents. You take care of them when they've come to a place where they need caring. Verse 5 says this. Uh, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. I, I, I think last time I talked about this, I was talking about my, my great-grandmother and uh, how she lost her husband, I think, at 52. And I believe she died when she was 87. So she lived a long time by herself, but she was a woman of prayer. And I, I think I made mention that one time at a family reunion, they asked her to pray over the food. And when she prayed over the food, she, the anointing began to fall as she began to pray over fried chicken, if you, can, if you understand what I'm talking. And I remember watching people there uh, who were not believers to feel the anointing of the Lord as she prayed just begin to cry. And that's a woman who, who has spent time in prayer. And so uh, this is what Paul's talking about. Verse 6 says this. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That's pretty, uh, pretty pointed uh, uh, word there. If an older woman is living for pleasure or un ungodly, uh, an ungodly life, they're merely going through the motions of life. She's, it's all about themselves. And the Bible says this, we are to die to ourselves. We are to crucify ourselves. And, and so... Uh, dead here means someone who is not connected to the church. Verse 7 says this, uh, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. And so he's saying, hey, Timothy, continue to preach these things, these principles. I'm laying, down, laying them down here. Uh, verse 8 and 9, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an un." Believer, whoo, heart check right there. Interesting. So um, that's a, a little bit. Verse 9, let a, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. So she's got to be 60. He's, Paul's telling Timothy this, having been uh, the wife of one husband. And so what's happened here is the church of Ephesus has some widows who are very rich, and their husbands have died, and they're young, and they're giving him a little bit of consternation. If you go back to chapter 2, uh, it's one of the reasons that Paul talks about a woman, a woman should not speak in church and says certain, certain particular things here. 
Well, if we're going to take that very literal, um, and then any widow that's under 60, we shouldn't do anything for. And so uh, it's kind of interesting when we look at these, this bit of scripture, we have to understand Paul is talking to a very specific issue in the church of Ephesus, okay? Um, how many know that um, if we have a widow here and they need some help, we're going to help them, right? We're going to do what we can. And so, uh, so here's, what, here's the qualifications for a widow receiving help. She is a, a woman who is at least 60 years old. She's a faithful, she was a faithful wife and a good mother who had a good reputation and given to hospitality. She refreshed the saints and helped the hurting and didn't have family to take care of her. So, um, and so when we look at those qualifications, we look at that and say, hey, that is a, a widow indeed and therefore qualified to be cared for by the church. Say, well, why doesn't the church just take care of all the widows? Here's the thing. Our human tendency is this. If you know that the church will take care of your mom, a lot of people would just say, oh, the churches will take care of them. This will happen, right? But the scripture here, Paul's commanding us and as, as family members that we are responsible to take care of our family members. So here we go. Verse 11. Are you with me? All right. Three of you are with me. That's all I need. Verse 11. But refuse to, uh, uh, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ and they desire to marry, and verse 12, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So don't let younger women under 60 join the community of widows who, who get help. Now, it's pretty interesting. Why? Why does Paul say that? Well, they may have a desire to remarry. That's, what, what, that's the point. So if they do remarry, remarry, and let's just say they remarry an unbeliever, it would mean that they would be what? Unequally yoked. Right? Unequally yoked. Married to someone who is not devoted to the Lord and prayer like, like them. And so... And we know what the scripture says. Do not be, what, unequally yoked, you know. And, and, and so if you, if you know someone, you have a granddaughter or a grandson or a son or a daughter who is seeking someone to marry, if they are not of the faith, you ought to pray, you ought to pray, you ought to pray, you ought to pray. Amen. Verse 13 says this. Besides that, just talking about widows, they learn to be idlers. Got a lot of time on their hand, going from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Verse 14, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Boy, you say, boy, that seems so pointed. But what Paul's doing here, he's given some guardrails here to help people in their lives. Um, uh, he's instructing Timothy, hey, make sure women of the church don't give the enemy opportunity to speak negatively in the community, especially about Christians due to their neglect of their households. Um, it's best for younger women to get remarried. Um, that way they don't become gossips and busybodies. You know, uh, it's been said this, it's uh, that idle time, about idle time, busy hands achieve more than idle tongues. Right? If I'm busy with my hands, I'm not talking as much. And, but if I'm talking a lot, guess what? I do less with my hands, right? 
Um, some of you are thinking about people on your jobs, people that talk. They're doing less with their hands and doing more with their mouth there or vice versa. Um, and so um, the tendency here is when you got a lot of time on your hand, you like to stir up trouble, right? And so Paul is saying, hey, watch out for this pitfall right here. Verse 15, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they, uh, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So um, I know that's a little bit of pointed scripture, but after dealing with the state of widows in the church, Paul, he goes on to de delineate here the standards of leadership. So we've talked about widows, and now we're going to go to elders. And the elders are, are three things. They can be a, a, a pastor, uh, an overseer, or a bishop. Those are interchangeable, those words right there. That's anybody that is in ministry that is a leader, um, that it, a bishop, a pastor, uh, an overseer, or an elder, okay? So verse 17 says this, and, and if you need a, a section for this, honor elders, okay? Verse 17 says this, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So the role of an elder, pastor, bishop, overseer, is that they would rule uh, uh, well, that they would do good, they would do good, that they would be faithful that they would be truthful, they would be dis, uh, diligent, and also that they would be discerning. You know, that's my that's my hope is that uh, as a pastor is that, man, I would be faithful, I would be truthful, I would be diligent, I would be discerning, I would be loving in all that I do and everything that I say. I, I pray uh, my heart, Lord, help me to represent you well in all that I do. Um, double here refers to uh, two types of honor. Number one is respect for ruling well. When someone does does well, uh, you should respect that. And 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 uh, number two is adequate pay for diligent care for the church. So um, here's the thing: you might be like, Pastor, are you preaching that you deserve more? No, I'm just showing you what the scripture says. Uh, I didn't write it; Paul wrote it. And so uh, verse 18 says this: For the scripture says. Well, looky there. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. How many feel like you deserve your wages? Right? Put in a good day, you deserve a, a, a wage, right? How many believe they deserve a little bit more? All right, I like the honest people in here. <laughs> So Paul saying this about the ox, he's using the references here to address verse uh, uh, 17. He's going back to what, what he said there in verse 17 about um, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So he's going back to this. He's, he's quoting here um, out of Deuteronomy 25.4 and Luke 10.7. He provides proof that principles uh, for providing adequate financial care for your elders. So um, Jesus in Matthew 10, 10 says this, I'm sending my disciples out to whom they ministered to and that those people would provide for them. And so um, if an ox takes care of your field, you feed it, right? Right? If an ox takes care of you, I pray you do, or else it's going to fall over dead in the field at some point. You take care of it. And, 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 and Paul's saying in this bit of scripture, don't muzzle that ox. 
okay, when they're laboring, when they're going, don't, don't muzzle it. Um, and here's what I will say. I will say this. I feel like that we are blessed beyond measure as pastors here. And God has always provided all of our needs. Every time we have a need, he is faithful. And, and I want to say this. I appreciate your giving to this house and, and honoring the Lord. Verse 19. Um, it says this, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Um, do not slander an elder, a bishop, a pastor, or overseer, or even uh, listen to sl- slander unless there are what? Two or three witnesses. You know, sometimes we get in that mode. What well, did you hear? Well, that's great. You know, were you an actual witness to the source? Are you just spreading gossip, you know? Um, and here's my prayer for you. Uh, Proverbs 26.20 says this, Where there is no wood, the fire will go out. And you know how to stop gossip and slander? Stop giving it wood. And if you will be a line of defense in, in times when you hear gossip and you shut it down and you say, Well, wait a second. Let's call that person. Let's bring that person in here. Let's, let's let them be in this conversation since we're talking about them right now. I promise you the tone of that conversation will change. And so if we're not careful, you know, gossip can come in. Um, and so Paul, he's, he understands the tendency of the enemy. The enemy, whether we realize, realize it or not, will sometimes use things and use scenarios. How many have ever been gossiped about? lied on somebody said something about you that wasn't necessarily true right and the enemy will come in and he'll make uh these attacks and these lies remember the devil is a liar that's all he knows how to do and he brings in lies and a good a good rule of thumb for the church in life or wherever is uh, uh if is is this you when you give ear to gossip you know what you're doing you're encouraging a gossiper I know that bounced off all the walls in here, right? When you give ear to a gossiper, you're encouraging that gossiper to keep gossiping. But I promise you, if you say, hold on right there, that's, that's not going to happen right here. It's going to stop right here, regardless of whoever they're talking about. And, and here's the thing. Our job as believers should be to help people to stop sinning. I'm not saying you got to call them out and just say, hey, I'm not going to listen to that gossip. Can you stop right there? Unless you want that person to come here or let's, let's pick up the phone, let's call them and let's talk about this. So don't, let, don't listen to gossip ever, not even if it's disguised as a prayer request. Woo! Come on now. That's a good one, right? Well, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so because of this. Nope, 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 nope. That's not the way that works. And here's the thing. When we, when we do gossip, here's the thing. When we do gossip... We hurt the church corporately and ourselves personally. So it, it has to end with us. So verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Ooh, I don't like that verse. It'd be like us calling out all your sins and bringing up here and putting your list of sins that you've done right up here on the big screen so everybody could see, right? Uh, and, and Paul's saying this. On the other hand, if there's a legitimate sin, it needs to be rebuked. Um, 
if we if we if we show that it it'll it'll uh, we we may learn to be in awe of God. So it's interesting because a few weeks ago I learned of a pastor, and honestly, um, man, there's been a lot of pastors who have failed uh, in recent years, and a lot of a lot of mega churches and a lot of things, and their um, calling, their integrity didn't match their calling. Okay, and, and they've let little things in their life and, and things unseen. And here's the thing. This pastor, this is interesting. This pastor, he never cheated on his wife. Um, he never uh, flirted with an, another woman. But what had happened was he had caught, got himself in a position where he was messaging this woman. And he had become too a little too familiar, okay, with this, with this woman. And... And here's the thing, and this pastor got up in front of his congregation, a large church, very large church, and he admitted his guilt, and he said, I, he, he, he admitted he was wrong. He said, I, I have to, by, by the call of what an elder is to be doing in First in Timothy chapter 2, step down. I need to be healed. I need to be restored. The board of that church asked him to step aside for a season of time, and, and they're going to work on some growth within him. And here's the thing about that is, um, uh, you know, we we have to be we have to be careful. And I've seen it time and time and time again in the last four or five years. I've seen a lot of uh, we'll call them celebrity pastors fall really really hard. And one of the things that they talked about at at the conference that me and Tristan went to, uh, this this I mean a couple of things that blew my mind. They said forty two percent of pastors in, in the U.S. would stop pastoring if they had another job. That's a high rate. The divorce rate amongst pastors is the same as what it is in America. That's unacceptable. So the enemy is coming in, and he's attacking leaders, and he's finding their weaknesses. And, and here's the thing. This is what I know. The integrity of who you are has to match the calling that God has given you. And if you can't have integrity when no one else is looking, listen, you have no business being on a stage somewhere. So, uh, and so the, the, this bit of scripture says we are to rebuke and chastise them. And um, verse 21, in the presence of God and to, of Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without uh, prejudging, doing nothing um, from partiality. Uh, do not be hasty in the laying uh, on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That's my prayer, God. Keep me pure. God, keep my mind pure. Keep my heart pure. Keep my motives pure. God, everything that I do. So Paul gives some great solid advice for a young Timothy here. He's saying this, hey, don't, don't show favorites in your leadership. Don't bestow uh, favoritism to certain people. And, and he's saying this, don't put people too, too quick into ministry. Don't lay hands on someone too fast. Don't put them in ministry where they're, they're not ready to serve. And here's the thing. I, I've learned this, and I've, I've got some great mentors in my life. On occasion, sometimes when there's a vacancy, pastors feel like they have to fill a hole quickly because there's a vacancy there. But I've learned just by watching other pastors, and, and even in my own life, is this. If you wait on the timing of God, God will put the right person in the right place for you. And so he's, and Paul's advising Timothy here, hey, 
uh, you know, take it, take your time. Don't be too fast. And here's the thing: I like to give people opportunity to serve, um, but man, I, I got, I got, I, I'm agreeing with Paul here. Let's let's hit the brakes a little bit. Let's make sure your integrity matches the call that God has on your life, so you're not overcome so by sin. So this is one of the reasons that, that our church that we have growth tracks because there's some training and. And, and, and there's a window before you can even be a leader in a ministry. There's, the reason for that is we don't want to throw you out there and it be, you know, you fail, number one. But also uh, that you can live a life that's above the reproach of sin. Here's verse 23. Um, it says this, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So we know this. Timothy, young Timothy had some stomach issues. So Paul tells him to have some wine for his stomach's sake. So, and, and what we have to understand about this bit of scripture is this wine is purely medicinal purpose. It's, it's, it was basically medicine for it, and, and it was not for pleasure. This was something that was good. They used wine for a lot of things back in those days. And it's interesting um, because in chapter 3, Paul, Paul tells him that no elder should have wine. And here he tells him, to take it medicinally. I, I found that kind of interesting. Here's another intriguing thing about this bit of scripture right here. Paul, who had laid hands on people, Paul, whose shadow had healed people, could have easily laid hands on Timothy and prayed for him and probably did. Why, did not, why didn't God heal him in that moment? It's really interesting to me when you think about that. Um, um, so, you know, and we ask these questions, why doesn't God heal everyone? I don't know. We don't know. I, I wish he would. It'd, it'd make my job a lot easier. And this is what I know. This is what I've come to learn is God heals whom he wants. And and not necessarily what I want, but he does what he wants in his time and his his place. Um, God can use God can do God can use prayer. Right. How many know that God can answer prayers? God can heal you through prayer. How many know that God can use medicine, right? And, and God can use our bodies. Our bodies are designed to, to fight infection and do some amazing things. And God can use our faith to heal, right? And so I don't know why he does the things he does, but, but he does. So knowing this, we should pray for his direct healing as well as thanking him for the gift of medicine and knowing that, that his method and his timing is always perfect. You know what that is? Trusting in the Lord. We didn't answer the prayer I wanted to. Trust him anyways. He didn't do it in the way that I wanted to. Trust him anyways. Verse 24. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So sins are conspicuous or they're noticeable, and, and you can see them going down like a burning chip. How many have ever seen some people, or maybe in your experience in your own life, you've, you've watched people, and you just see them almost like going over a cliff, and you're just like, stop, stop, stop sinning, and you, you see that. And here's the thing. Some people, you, you may not know that they're sinning, but then later in their life, you see the repercussions of their sins. So, too, are good works. Sometimes you, you notice them up front, and sometimes... Um, 
you don't see them right away. So some of those good works will not be known until we are, are in heaven. I think it's going to be amazing when we get to heaven and the Lord says, and we see things about people where they gave or they did things. I think it's going to be amazing when we get up there and be like, you did that? That is amazing. So some of those things we may not know. So we're going to look at chapter 6 here. And, and so Paul here, he is addressing the ministry of the church to the world. All right. Uh, this is the church. This is to the church. That's vocationally, materially, and intellectually. So um, uh, everyone say, this is, this is for us. All right, good. Verse, uh, verse uh, 1 says this. Let all who are under a yoke of, uh, as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and teaching uh, not be reviled. So... Another word here for bond servants, if you want to put that in modern English, is this. Employees, you're under the yoke of your boss or the person who pays you, a, a burden of carrying some weight. And some of you are like, well, I feel that weight every day, you know, when I go into work. Um, and here's what it says. We are to be uh, good eggs. Can I say that? We are to be good eggs as, as believers. Um, when the whistle blows... We're not to be scrambled, okay? We're be the good eggs, and and when it when things get hot, we're not to be fried, okay? <laughs> but we are to be honest in our work and in our craft. Work as if it's unto the Lord. Work as if the Lord was paying you. Well, I'm working for somebody, and they're the furthest thing from the Lord. Work as if it's for the Lord. Be honest. Um, here's what I know. Stop and think about this at your job. The world is looking for a reason not to believe in God. And if I'm doing something that's not right at my job, I'm giving someone a reason not to believe in God. Because they may know I go to church. They may not. I don't know. So don't give them one, right? And we are to represent Christ well. Um, verse 2. Those who have believing masters must uh, not be disrespectful on the ground that they, uh, that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the uh, better, must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good services are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Everyone say, teach and urge these things. If your boss is a Christian, all right. All right, here we go, everyone. If your boss is a Christian, if your boss is a believer, listen to me, people of God. Do not exploit your boss. Do not exploit your boss. What do you mean by that? Well, it's okay if I'm late because my boss is a Christian. I was praying with my wife, and that's why I was late to work today. Or I was praying with my husband, right? We can spiritualize everything, right? I was laying before the Lord this morning. My alarm didn't go off. I was laying before the Lord just praying, seeing a vision. I was dreaming, right? Um, and we can spiritualize all those things. Don't be the one who takes advantage of your boss. Instead, esteem them. Take care to esteem them even higher. Hey, work even harder for them. Notice the last line. I like that. Teach and urge these things. And I'm, I'm urging you, be, be the best representative of Christ in your work ethic. 
be the best representative of Christ in your work ethic, in your emotions, and your service to your work and your boss. Remain blameless in your work. All right. All right. If you need another subheading here, false teachers and, and true contentment. All right. Verse 3 says uh, this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that uh, accords with godliness, verse next portion, he is what? Puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Big know-it-all, right? He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Woo, man, some of you are thinking about people right now. And for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and, and um, evil suspicions. Verse 5, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is the means of gain. Now, there's a mouthful in that little bit of scripture right there. So, this is what that means. True apostolic teaching is what leads to godliness as opposed to negative effects of false teaching. Um, True doctrine is recognizable by the impact it has has on us on an everyday living. Okay? True doctrine, it'll impact us every day, okay? And listen now, listen to me carefully. I, I, am, I am a person who believes in the move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit 100%. But if you can come up here and you can shout and you can do all kinds of things and you are not changed and you don't see the growth of the Lord in you, there is something that you missed. Amen. Every day. True doctrine is recognizable by the impact it has on our everyday living. When I read this word, it's alive, and it charges me, and it changes me, and it it, it makes me want to be better, not because I'm good, but because I want to please the Lord, because I love the Lord. Amen? So Paul's calling out false teachers here, and he knew there, there were more interested in theory and debate rather than putting on the truth. Sounds familiar, right? You can turn on the news and you can see people debate and argue all you want, right? Just turn on any news source. And their, um, their desire was to argue over words. Yeah, they deprived the truth, describes uh, uselessness of, of specul- speculative religious arguments. These false teachers were most likely using religion for their own financial gain at times. So look at this, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great godliness with contentment is great gain so you get rid of all the slander you get rid of all those useless words and and you're walking in in doctrine that is changing you godliness with contentment god i'm content with with things that are going on god i'm seeking you is great gain sometimes um uh there's been moments where word of faith preachers say godliness will bring gain which will make you content, but that's not what Paul's saying here. Did you hear what I just said? I, I, I know I said, sometimes word of faith preachers say, godliness will bring gain, which will make you content. But Paul, that's not what he said. He said, gain lies in godliness with contentment. Why? Psalms eighty four eleven. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk up. Rightly, when I'm following the doctrine that 
that the Lord has given me, and I'm living this thing out, and I'm doing my best, and I'm and He is carrying me. Guess what? And I say, God, I just I just need a little blessing today. He'll be like, That's a good thing, and you need it. Here you go. Amen. How many like a good present? All right. Now, I don't have to buy anyone a birthday present in here. Just Jody. He's the only one that raised his hand. All right. You say, hey, I don't believe that. I walk with the Lord. I drive, I, drive a, I drive an old car, and I need a new car, you know. Well, maybe the Lord knows that if you had a new car, that wouldn't be good for you. Right? Maybe that new car, you would, you, would uh, you know, maybe it would make you think that you're better than people, and maybe it would cause you to get in a car accident. The Lord knows what he's doing. So God knows what toys and what hobbies are, and, and bigger houses and those things would do to us, and he knows if those things would distract us from our relationship with him. He wants what's best for you, so, and he knows what's good for you. Everyone say, he knows what's good for me. All right, good. Verse 7 says this. So, for we, we uh, brought nothing into this world, and we, can take, we can't take anything out of this world. I almost thought I was quoting my mom there. I brought you into this world. No. Um, we brought nothing into this world, and we can't take anything out of this world, right? You can take it with you, but it ain't going to do you any good. Bury me with my car. That's great. It's just going to rot in the ground. Bury me with my money. It's all right. It's just going to rot in the ground, right? You can't take it, but if we have food and clothing with the with these, we will be content. So um, Paul's simply saying this. If you have something to eat, you have clothes on your back, be content. When's the last time you put your clothes on and got something for breakfast, a piece of toast, and said, thank you, Lord, for this toast and these clothes on my on my back. Be content. I mean, and Paul, it's as simple as that. Uh, this is this. Listen to me. This is neither a suggestion nor a principle, but a command. But a command. I I really love this. Um, there's in Mexico. I I I saw this beautiful story in Mexico. There's a mountain with a cold spring and a hot spring next to each other, and there's some indigenous people there. And a guide comes by, and the indigenous people were out there, and he and um. He asked them, he says, man, I, I, I bet, the guide says, I bet you're grateful that, that you have hot springs and a cold springs here so you can wash your clothes. In which the indigenous person looked at him and said, no, I wish I had soap, right? So we can have everything that we need, right? Sometimes we're, we're, there's always something else, right? I've got two cars in my driveway, but I need this new car, right? Come on now. I've got a hamburger on my plate, but I wish I had a ribeye on my plate. Come on now. Oh, how many can say that God is so good to us? You know, st- statistically, the people in this congregation congregation are wealthier than 90% of the world's population. How many can say you're blessed? Amen. Amen. So think about that next time you're, you're inclined to grumble about not having soap, okay? The Lord provides. He's given you these things. So look at this. Uh, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into uh, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money is what? Is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the love of money leads to pointless pursuits and persistent pain. Are you saying that we shouldn't have money? Not at all. But I can tell you this, that the drive and the, and the desire for money can create sometimes more pain than what it's worth. I can tell you a lot of stories of people who, who have lost their marriages in the pursuit for money. I got to make more money. I got to do five more jobs. I got to do, and they neglect their family and lose their family. Those with money uh, can indulge in themselves with possessions and places. But, but here's the thing. The Bible, time and time again, it, it gives us warning and warning. It says, wanting, it says that uh, wanting to be rich or letting money control you can wipe you out. It can mess you up. Um, I want you to think about this. I want to give you a little perspective. Think about missing heaven because of earthly riches. Okay, it's hard for us, right? We live in this earth. We know we got 70 years. We know or you know, about 70 years. Some of you are like, I'm praying for 100. That's all right. Um, but, you know, we live on this earth. But here's the thing. The little bit of money that we, wealth or whatever we can create in this earth is really small compared to eternity. Matter of fact, all the money that you have here in the earth is going to be your footstep when you walk out of your mansion in heaven because the streets are made with gold. So our concern in this life, you know, I, I, I can't imagine missing eternity for earthly riches. We say, well, that's silly. Um, but here's the thing. Many do it every day. And there are people that die every day not knowing the gospel because they've chased wealth. So look at this. Verse Verse 11, here's, the, here's, I like this, the last little section here. Fight the good fight of faith. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, fight the good fight of faith. Verse 11, but as for you, O man of God. I like that. Um, we use this phrase sometimes uh, a little bit too frequently. The Bible uses it really sparingly. You don't see it very often. Man of God. Everyone say, say man of God. Paul says this, and I think I think there's two reasons that Paul says this. I think it's because Timothy was a man of God, but I also think that that Paul is decreeing something to Timothy. Hey, you're young. Hey, listen to me, man of God. I begin to think about this. I served on a board in California, and I happened to sit by this guy on the board, really nice pastor from from uh, uh, down in Riverside, California, and and he was just kind. And every time he would see me, he'd sit down to next to me he'd give me a fist bump and he'd say man good to see you man of God I'm younger than him I'm probably about half his age and I'll, I'll never forget every time I saw him he always said that you're doing a good job man of God and he's saying that not because I'm so good but to encourage a young leader or a young pastor hey you've got this know who you are listen to me man of God woman of God know whose you are but as for you, man of God, flee these things, all right, talking about riches and, and, and all these arguments. Pursue righteousness, what's right before the Lord. I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 
when you do that, this is what happens. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the, uh, uh, of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So flee from what? Sin, temptation, snares, harmful desires. Run from them. I talked about that a couple weeks ago, you know. Flee from the enemy. When the enemy comes in, turn and run. Oh, man. You know, Joseph, what did he do? When Potiphar's wife got a hold of him, he ran from the situation. So he still got in trouble and had to go to jail. But he ran. He kept his integrity in place. Flee from sin, temptation, snares, and harmful desires. So people today, they often ask this. <laughs> this, is, this is a loaded statement that I'm about to make. Hey, Pastor, how far can I go before it is a sin? If you're asking that, you're already messed up. How far is the line? Can I, can I just walk the line right here? Because here's what happens. If I put a balance beam up here, a really small or balance wire that was 10 feet in the air, not very many people in the church would want to walk across that balance line because it's hard to keep that balance. And the Bible says clearly this, and I, it says this, be holy for I am holy. That's what the scripture says. I didn't write it. Flee from youthful lust is what 2 Timothy says, or sin and desires. Run from those things. You know, you know I, here's the thing, and, and, I'll, and these, these are great, great words. And, and, and pastors today who are, who are struggling, I pray for every pastor all the time. God, give them strength. Help them. God, help them to flee from sin and desires. They're human too. They're human too. And see, and here's the problem. It, the goal is not to see how close to the line I can get before sinning. The key here is walking worthy of the calling. Don't try to walk the line of sin. I'm not even going to get close to the line of sin. God, I, I'd rather be over here close to you. Uh, pastors, uh, man, and I, I mentioned that so, so many so many pastors have failed in recent years. Falling, um, and here's the thing, when pastors failed, fail and fall, there's a lot of collateral damage. It's devastating, right? Seems like I see another, another documentary about a pastor falling and failing. I'm going to vomit. I mean, I'm, it makes me sick to my stomach because I'm just like, man, why? But for all of those, those type of pastors, listen to me. There are pastors in churches all across this nation, all across this world, who do walk with integrity, who are doing what's right. All right, so Timothy, your integrity must match your calling, walk in righteousness. So Paul gives him a, a list of things to pursue. Is it easy? No. But ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. It, it, it may be a fight sometimes, right? Uh, man, it, it's tough, you know, to... To, to, to walk, pursue righteousness. It's tough to pursue godliness. Sometimes it's, sometimes my faith wavers. Anybody's faith waver in here? Sometimes I don't want to love somebody. Oh, don't look at me all pious. Sometimes I, I, I have to, Lord, help me to love. God, steadfastness, sticking with someone. You're like, will you stop making the same mistake over and over? I'm just going to love you anyway. I'm gentleness. And he gives them that list. Listen, the Holy Spirit will help you if you'll let him. You say, hey, I, I don't know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. You ought to ask God to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit because it is one of the best things that can help you in your walk with Christ.
keep eternity's values in view is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Keep focused on the fact that you are going to heaven and you won't be bothered by the things of this earth. Verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who was in the testimony before Pontius Pilate made uh, the good confession. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you king? I love Jesus' response here. Jesus answered, you said it, Pilate, and if you really desire to hear the truth, you too will hear my voice. Jesus basically saying, hey, you, you already said it. You already know. You too can believe, believe what you already just said, and you know. I love that, John 18, 37. Look at this. Verse 14. Uh, to keep the commandment un, unstained and free from reproach until the, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. Which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Everyone say Jesus. Who alone has immorality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to whom be honor and uh, an eternal dominion. Amen. So in light of who God is and, and where we're going, he's saying that, Paul's saying this, hey, keep in perspective that, that we're going somewhere, and you say, hey, uh, uh, you may say, hey, it's ludicrous, it's insane, it's crazy to think highly of ourselves, right? But here's what I know, this is what happens. Do you know this? Humility will cure all those things when you start thinking that yourself lofty and better than somebody. Anybody ever been there? Come on now. Uh, and, and But humility will bring you right back down. This is what happens. When we start thinking highly of ourselves and we got that pious walk and we can stick our chest out and we're walking, that's when you go to step up on the curb and you trip in front of everybody. How many know what I'm talking about? The Lord bring you right on down. Or you, you think you're high and pious and you're walking through a restaurant and you think you're all that and then you turn around and look and there's a big line of toilet paper stuck to your shoe. Humility, right? Walk in humility. Verse 17, as, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So um, it's kind of like musical chairs. Our, our, our economic system is kind of like musical chairs. Uh, uh, where there is one chair and a few people, right? And one day, right now, the music's playing, but one day the music's going to stop. Some people who think that their wealth is going to help them, it's going to crash, and they're not going to have a seat there. In other words, the entire world's economy is built on faith, right? Faith in the, in the mighty dollar. Like, it's, it, it's what we do, you know. We think, we think these things. But one day the music's going to stop, and when it does, the world will be shocked to see so many missing chairs. That's why the Bible says this right here, the, that riches are uncertain. What are you saying? Put your hope in Jesus, not in, your, not in your wallet. Amen? All right. But on God, who richly provides with everything to enjoy. So Psalms 37, 25, 26 says this. Um, it says, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a 
blessing. I love that bit of scripture. How many can say that God has provided for you time and time and time and time again? I want you to look at the hands that are going up in this every time. God, it may, hey, you may not have everything you need or everything you want, but you do have everything you need. Amen. Look at this, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need uh, of yours according to what? To the United States economy, to the world's economy. That's not where his supply comes from. It says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know where my supply comes from? A better place than this earth. Amen. So those, uh, those with money, trust, trust God, not money. Listen, if you have money, good for you. Be a blessing. He's the provider. He's the giver of all things. And, and he gives financially. He gives peace, peacefully. Some of you say, I don't have money, but I got peace. Amen for that, right? I, I may not have money, but, but uh, and God gives uh, knowledge, and, and God gives joy. Woo! Enjoy, right? So we don't have to uh, 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 own it to enjoy it. Only in America do we do we have this. You know, you got to have it to enjoy it. But we don't have to. Listen, I don't own the sunset, but I can go out and enjoy the sunset. Uh, I don't. Uh, you know, to walk down the street is still free. I believe, right? What about this singing? Some of you can sing loud in your car. And pull up to the stoplight, and the person looks at you across the way, and they're like, get it. Come on now. All right. What about, what about some things? What, here's something that's free. Laughing. Man, Lord, just, just keep giving me those things. I, I'm, I'm content. I'm great with those things. Verse 18. Uh, they are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous. And ready to share. So if God blesses you with wealth, be the most generous person you possibly can be. I love that one. I, I do. Uh, the funny thing is, um, more wealth, the more wealth someone obtains, typically, oftentimes, the more stingy they become. It's, it's just kind of one of those things. I, I, I watched a video once, and I don't know how true it is, but I liked it. And I pray that it was true. There was a video of a man who gave a homeless man, um, I believe it was in L.A., he gave him a $100 bill. He gave this homeless man a $100 bill. And then they, they followed this guy to see what he was going to do with this $100 bill. And when they followed this guy who was a homeless man in, in downtown L.A., he went around. He went and he bought some food. He went into a store and he bought some clothes. And he walked around to other homeless people and he dropped food off for other homeless people. Oh, I think that's beautiful, right? I, I love that. So, so here's the thing. This is what I've learned. You cannot outgive God. He has an endless supply. And I promise you, you cannot outgive him no matter what you do. That's the old song that we used to sing. Some of you might know that, and maybe a few people. Tanya, you know that song. You cannot outgive the Lord no matter what you do. Any, anybody know that song? You'll find out in the end. Thank you. Kent leaves with me. You'll find out in the end what the Lord's out giving you, your silver and your gold. What's the next part? I can't remember. Something blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Here's the, here's the gist of the song. You can't out give the Lord no matter what you do. <laughs> if my dad was here, he could tell me it. So, um, 
Verse 19, thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundations for the future so that they can make t- may take hold of which is truly life. So uh, the adage is true. You can't take it with you, right? But can I tell you this? You can send it ahead of you by giving it to the Lord. You're storing up things in heaven. I, I pray that we understand that. Look at this, verse 20. Oh, Oh, Timothy, he's talking directly to me. (laughs) Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the uh, irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Boy, that's a verse for today, right? Verse 21, uh, for by professing it, some have answered uh, from, or some have swerved. I'm sorry, some have swerved from the faith. Um, So after telling us that, Professionally, we're to be good workers, and financially, we are to be content and to be generous. Paul moves to the third and final exhortation here concerning the church. What is that? Intellectually, we are to be true to the word of God. I love this book. This book challenges me. This book changes me. This book can has the answer to, to your problem if you'll read it right? Uh, if you want to navigate life and you want to know uh, and, and, and f- you want eternal answers um, and you want to you navigate life for, et- for eternally without being embarrassed, study the scripture and simply do what it tells you to do. Here's the problem. We like to study the scripture and do what we want to do. It's like me. When I buy something, I get the instructions. I look at them slightly, and then I do what I'm going to do, right? And then I'm like, hey, Tristan, I got a few extra parts. She said, let's take a few steps back, take that apart again. If you want to na- navigate life now um, and without embarrassment, study the scriptures and do what it tells you to do. Without exception, uh, the times I'm ashamed the most in my life are the times I'm not doing what this word says. The time that I have the most guilt in my life times that I'm not doing what this word says so just do what it says you know I did uh, you know we say this I I did my own thing when I chose this route and I I ignored the command and the principle of scripture and what happens is I always result in error and in shame because I'm going against what God has told me so here's what I'll say to you you know you can my good friend uh, one of my friends in, in California pastor said this this week, and I don't know if he said this in his service, but I loved it so much. I was like, I'm quoting him. His name is James Ranger, and it says this, love God's word, learn God's word, and then you will live God's word. Amen. Love God's word, learn God's word, and then you will live God's word. You say, oh, that's so elementary. Well, then why don't we do it? Paul tells Timothy, stay in the word, be true to the word. So here's the last portion of, bit of scripture here in 1 Timothy. Oh, I love, I love Paul. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Um, come and help me out, can't you, on a, on a keyboard. Just drop me an F somewhere. Just Well, the key of F, right? How about that? Grace be with you. When I stay in the word... I learn of God's grace, and I learn of God's mercy over my life over 
and over and over and over again. You know what grace is? Unmerited favor. How many want God's grace to be with you everywhere you go all the time? I do. I do. Um, you know, when we say unmerited favor, that simply means this. It's something I don't deserve. I don't deserve. I didn't deserve Jesus to die on the cross for me. And some of you could say, hey, pastor, that's me. I didn't deserve Jesus to die. You, you don't know what kind of rascal I was. You don't know how, how bad I was. But I, I, what I love about the way that Paul ends this is you know, just grace be with you. And, and here's the thing. I know there's a lot of instruction here for the church and, and widows and some things. But the charge that I get out of this uh, from, from, from Paul speaking to Timothy is this. I can do nothing apart from God's grace. You know what? Grace helps me to walk in righteousness, holiness. You know, I, I <laughs> that's why we call it amazing grace. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. That's why we call it amazing grace. There's no other word for grace but amazing. Will you just bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I, I know there's some depth in scripture at times, God, and maybe some things may be challenging to us and they may push us intellectually and, but God I, I just pray tonight Lord that we would look at this word God and not put our trust in riches not put our trust in man's knowledge God we would put our trust in the word God you supply all our needs make a way where there seems to be no way. God, you open doors that only you can open. Lord, you shut doors that only you can shut. God, we're so grateful for your grace and mercy. Will you stand with me all across this?